the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It is a delight to welcome back our good friend, one of my favorite public intellectuals, Professor Mark Bauerlein. Dr. Bauerlein is an editor at First Things Magazine, professor of English at Emory, author of a lot of great books, including The Dumbest Generation. Professor Bauerlein had a piece, I quoted from it in my monologue a great deal, called The New Liberal Temper. Professor Bauerlein, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. I'm always glad to join you. Thank you, sir. I had a weird thing happen on uh, on the way to the forum a couple months ago. I've been doing a series on what is conservatism, and it was great fun here, uh, you know, tracking the modern conservative movement. And you've seen some of these books. You know the people I'm talking about. And it was a lot of fun. And a caller said, you know, Seth, we talk a lot about liberalism, and um, we think sometimes we're even classical liberals ourselves, we conservatives. Maybe you should do a series on liberalism and what it means. And I started it. And uh, we had some fun with it. And then I read your piece, and it was blown away how good it was. And I really appreciate your doing it. I'll just let you say what you're trying to say here in a moment by putting this to you. In 1988, when George Bush ran against Mike Dukakis, Democrats didn't like being called liberals, and conservatives knew if we wanted to get under their skin, we would call them liberals. Today, if a conservative finds a liberal, it's almost as if it's a dream we wished for. Is that a fair enough point? Well, if we mean the old-fashioned liberal, you got that right. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the old liberal adhered to the First Amendment, believed in the marketplace of ideas. It was a John Stuart Mill kind of free and open society. Uh, I quoted a, a point there back in the free speech movement in Berkeley. A guy who was there once told me, that in Sproul Plaza, when all the leftists were out there pushing for the youth movement and free speech, if a conservative got up on a soapbox and started saying patriotic things about America, the others would argue with him, but they would never shout him down. Mm -hmm. He didn't do that. That was contrary to the ideals of the whole free speech movement itself. You didn't have leftists out there trying to censor to suppress, to remove conservatives from the public sphere. Boy, I wish we had some of those liberals around today, because one thing I pointed out was they weren't touchy-feely, let's all be kind to one another, we need to have more tolerance in the world. That wasn't, they were more muscular, they were more firm. They were World they were War II vets, many of them, weren't they? Pardon me? Many of them were World War II vets, you know, I'm just thinking of, you That's know. right. You're George McGovern's even, you know? That's right. And, and they, were, they were strong anti-communists. Right. They understood suppression. They knew what the Cold War was about if we were going to lose. And, so, you know, I, I, I had a good friend, Eugene Genovese, who was an old historian. He was in college, and he was a hardcore Stalinist. He went to graduate school at Columbia. He got his degree in history in the 1950s. He said all his professors were liberals. Not hard leftists, but liberals. And they told him, Gene, 
if you really want to do a good dissertation, write about the figures as far from your outlook as you possibly can. Gene is a communist, so he wrote a dissertation about the slaveholders in America. The liberals back then urged people, you must understand the other side. You've got to read widely. This is not the liberal of today. And it, and, it, and it comes through so many various places, whether it's education to the political debate and social media and what adults are um, even allowed to talk about before uh, leftists cancel them. You, you, you talk about a muscular liberalism, and I take it to mean, as you outlined it, people that really did believe in the Constitution and particularly the First Amendment defended it heartily. They probably supported the ACLU. They would have been um, different with us on a lot of foreign policy issues and even a lot of tax and economic policy issues, but they would have defended our right to speak it and say it and disagree. And you would have found that on college campuses too. Indeed, the best of professors, didn't they? Maybe you were one of them. You would pick on the guy. Well, you were more literature than poli sci, but they would they they would pick on the, the they would always ask for the person with the contrary point of view to speak first. Certainly in law school, I remember that. If you were in a criminal defense or a criminal law class, they always wanted the student who defended the prosecution to go first, knowing it was a minority <laughs> point of view. But they wanted a Socratic yeah. to take it apart. And and there was there was the idea of the lone dissenter gets to be heard. Right. We can vote him down, but the guy gets to talk. He gets to speak his piece. And the liberal, the classical liberal especially, always felt a kind of sympathy for the dissenter, for the solitary figure, for the one voice who's going to stand up against the conformity crowd. That person had a kind of moral standing. Now, what do we see liberals doing? We see liberals, we see 5,000 liberals signing a petition to get one person fired from his job because he said the wrong thing. Even in a private situation, it was recorded and he said the wrong thing. And so you have this massive pile-on against the one liberals of old. They wouldn't sign boycotts, letters, petitions. They were the like ones that. that educated us about the blacklist. That's right. That's right. That's right. They were honoring the protesters who, who get, you know, who get swarmed by a mob. Well, mobbing now, they're willing to join in order to get someone fired, in order to get, get someone shunned in some way. These are, I mean, liberalism used to be a kind of individualism. Now it is group identity, and you better get with the program or you're in trouble. And that's why we need, you, need, you need a strong spine. You need a little backbone to be a liberal. And the liberals I see, you know, they're willing to go along. You know, oh, so those Black Lives Matter, well, they may be a little bit wacko, but, you know, it, it's not that big a deal. And they, they, they do It's a fad. I love that point. It's, it's a, a fad. It'll pass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they just they just kind of shrug things off, and they say, oh, the pendulum will swing back, it's all going to be okay, and, you know, you want to say stuff is happening right in front of you, the cancellations that are going on, the mobbing that is going on, the, the police presence here in D.C., 
where where I live. And and you guys you guys used to be upset by these things. What happened to liberalism? You guys used to keep the left in check. You had some sympathy for the left, but you you know, Bill Clinton, he had his sister soldier moment. Okay, that was that was a signal. Okay. No no more. No. I wonder we're, if it's an inherent so Go ahead. We're so afraid of the left now. We are so afraid of the wackos who run Black Lives Matter that, you know, we're just going to go through a kind of series of defensive behaviors. And that that dissenter, that lone conservative, you're on your own, buddy. Yeah, we have to go along with the bad joke like uh, Vaclav Havel wrote, wrote about that green grocer in 1978, right? He just hangs workers of the world unite in his storefront, not because he necessarily gives a damn about workers of the world, but he knows he kind of has to do it, right? Yeah, that, this, right. this is what, And I wonder, this is kind of a big question. At least I think it is. Maybe you'll, you'll make easy work of it, Professor. <laughs> You're the doctor. I'm not. Um, but it's this, and I'm wondering, can I keep you a little bit? Because it'll take us into the break, and I'd rather have you answer it on the other side. You know? If I can say one thing. Please. A PhD is no guarantee. I know, but you've, you've, you've got bona fides beyond that, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the question. I'll let you ponder it over the break. Is yep. this everything you described – the takeover by the left of liberalism, the ability to cow liberals or good liberals or formerly or erstwhile strong liberals into silence, the cancel culture that we conservatives now face, and for that matter, classical type liberals. Is this not all part of the inherent weakness of liberalism itself, that liberalism yeah. itself does not have an answer to those thirsting for a strong medicine? In other words – when you think in the legal sphere of Holmes or Brandeis talking about the best test of truth is its ability to work its way into the marketplace, to me that's a relativism that tells me it's the power of the mob, it's not liberalism. It's, it's a very relativistic view that allows really Thrasymachus, the strongest, to win. And the left got strong and liberalism had no answer for it and so it caved. I wonder if you could address that when we come back. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Professor Mark Bauerlein. We'll be right back. Delighted uh, to uh, have with us Dr. Mark Bauerlein. Uh, he is an editor at First Things Magazine, professor of English, Emory University, author of many important books. His piece at American Greatness today, The New Liberal Temperament, is what we're talking about. So, Professor Bauerlein, I posed this question to you uh, right before the break. I'll just redo it quickly. Um, has the left taken over because, in many respects, of the inherent weakness of liberalism itself, which is relativism? They could not stand up to, they did not have an answer to the leftists in their party. Thus, they had to take, they, they had to fall, fall away to their brute strength. I would say that what we see now was inherent in liberalism from the very beginning, okay. that into the individualism of liberalism was going to evolve into group identity and victimization and that whole reversal of values that we see now. And that what held it back, what prevented liberalism from decaying to the point where it just became mushy in the face of the hard left, was that there was a base of conservatism in American society. 
we had a fairly church-going society, uh, a devout society, which stood for traditional American values of a you know Protestant work ethic and delayed gratification and family formation, as long as those cultural values of conservatism were sort of underlying the culture, the society we live in, we could have that kind of liberal individualism go on. But we know what happened. Conservative cultural values decayed. They were attacked. The various forces came about and left us with what we see today. And the liberals who had that kind of toughness, part of which might have come from their religious devotion, they lost it. They couldn't hold back the left anymore. And the conservative fixture in society, such as strong nuclear families, the cultural authority of the churches, that's gone. That's gone. And so here we are. Liberalism is trying to hold it together. They're trying to pretend that the excesses of the left, the cancellations, the the forms of censorship that we're seeing today, the aggression on the part of the left, it, those things are not that threatening. Well, they're lying to themselves. Okay? They're, they're pretending, and they're hoping that it's not as bad as it really seems. But it is. But it is. And they're in charge of all the institutions. I mean, think about how crazy it is for a college president charged to uphold the brand, the university, he trashes the university as a place of systemic racism. What does it mean when the heads of the Democratic Party, the leaders of the country, trash their own country? How, how can, how can it, well, what kind of decadence is going on here? Well, this, this, is, this is liberalism in the 21st century. It's a fascinating point. I, you know, there was a moment in time here, you probably remember it as well, uh, where all kinds of letters and emails were coming to families whose kids were in there, both public, private, and charter schools, uh, donors to museums, donors to other nonprofits. And the leaders of all these uh, places sent these mass mailers out uh, declaring their institutional racism and that they were going to work harder at getting rid of it. Parents called me. I said I'd take my kid out of that school. I would not be sending my my kid to a school that declares it's racist. It's a little bit harder when you're talking about your country. But that's how absurd that was, wasn't it, Mark? Well, I would want to go to the meeting and I'd say, look, you're in charge of this place. Yeah. You've been around here. Yeah. You should you should resign. Yeah, yeah. You're if we're guilty. institutionally racist after 10 years of your leadership, exactly. Yeah, I don't want to hear your apologies. Just resign. Yeah. Go away. Yeah. You're, 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 I mean, this, this is the bad fate of these liberal leaders of institutions. You've been running the ship. You guys control... All the levers here. Why? I mean, this this is just. Uh, sometimes you think this is just a mode of self protection. They're just doing the CYA right here, and that they're hoping that they can. You know, they're hoping against hope that they can just get through it. I mean, I I got a, a lot of academic colleagues, and they're they're sort of moderate liberals. They're all they're all nervous. Yeah, they're going to become they're conservatives, afraid. I think, someday soon. Well, maybe if, uh, look look. So, all I can hope for is just give us some of your votes. Yeah. Okay? Because I know, you, I know you're not going to open your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe and, their and wallets and their votes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, 
give us give us your vote because that's all we've got at this point. We don't have the media. We don't have the entertainment industry. We don't have Silicon Valley. We don't have corporate America. Uh, all we have at this point is the vote. And if the damn Republicans in the state legislatures don't protect the vote in their state, it's all over. It's over. We're talking to Mark Bauerlein, uh, editor at uh, First Things, professor at Emory. Mark, I wanted to ask you another question, a big question about liberalism, and <clears throat> it's really a question about conservatism in a sense. Do conservatives need classical liberals? Do conservatives need liberals to thrive and survive? And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if we're mutual friends. He's a dear friend of mine. I'm not sure if you know Tevi Troy. But he had a piece in National Affairs talking about how we once were able to defend free speech because we had liberals like – you'll recognize these names. You mentioned one of them earlier – Irving Howe, Eugene Genovese, Nat Hentoff, Arthur Schlesinger. They all supported the free expression of ideas. And Tevi's proposing we do that solution again, to which I I, I disagreed with him in a friendly manner saying, well, that's the problem. We don't have Nat Hentoffs anymore. I, I like Tevi. I've done a podcast. Good. Uh, yeah. I have him on my podcast yeah. show. And the thing is, I want to agree with Tevi like you. Yeah. But where, where are they? Right. Where That's, are? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you take those those people he mentioned, like Irving Howe, right. those people had backbone. Yeah. They did. Yeah. And so it, it would be nice. But what we have here now is a split within conservatism between those conservatives who think that we can reform alliances with sensible liberals and those conservatives who believe, no, no, it's war. Okay, stop war. right there, Dr. Bauerlein. You just talked yourself into me taking you into one more segment because I got an email from a listener in the middle of this interview saying, would you ask the professor to also say a word about muscular conservatism while he's on about muscular liberalism? I said, I w- sure, yes, we will. Can you sure. stay with me one more segment as we hit this break and I'll make you do that? Is that all right? Sure thing. I'll, sure make, thing. You make, I'll, I'll make you make the point. You actually wrote this essay last time we talked. It's just a reprise of that, uh, okay. finding our martial spirits once again. No more, uh, no more, no more uh, Stockholm syndrome conservatives, muscular conservatives. With Mark Bauerlein, we'll be right back. Concluding our uh, discussion here with Professor Mark Bauerlein of First Things and Emory University, his piece on unneeded muscular liberalism. Uh, say something, Mark, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, you wrote about this a couple essays ago, a muscular conservatism. You said there's a war going on in conservatism. Uh, go ahead and say a word about that if you don't mind because whatever uh, group you're in, I want to be in it. Well, it, it's really just uh, pretty familiar now. It is the establishment conservative. Those who have making a very good living uh, in Washington D.C. within the Republican Party, in the think tanks, uh, on the magazines and newspapers and and media, who are have been the standard bearers for conservatism for decades now. They've done very well. They have distinguished profiles. They've made a lot of money. I mean, people like George Will and. What the election of Donald Trump did was he shone a flashlight upon them 
that said, what have you accomplished for genuine conservatives in America? What kind of Supreme Court justices have you given us? And what kind of decisions have they handed down that have upheld conservative values? Uh, what, how, how is it that Republicans in Congress, when they control Congress, end up increasing funds for Planned Parenthood? How, how did all these things happen if you were such stalwart defenders of the conservative line? Well, uh, what Donald Trump election showed that is a whole lot of people are very unhappy with what has happened with conservatism defeat again and again and again in the last 30 years. And what have you done about it? What have you done? Where have you stood up? Where, where, where have you held the line? So even when it was popular to hold the line, you just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. These are the populist conservatives, the Trump conservatives, the social conservatives who realize you've been lying to us on, uh, before elections, and then you turn around and you cooperate with, uh, with the liberals in Congress. You won't fight. Trump showed we need a different kind of battle. We keep losing and losing and losing, and you guys are too comfortable to take on the challenge. And one can understand why. Liberals hold so much of the pipeline in their own hands. What conservative law school can you attend? I mean, all the law schools are very liberal places. Can you become a teacher? All the schools of education are heavy liberal places. Human resources now in corporate America, boy, do they go after people with conservative values. At this point, I'm mean, Silicon Valley. If you're known as a conservative like Peter Thiel, Peter Thiel moved away. He couldn't take it anymore. Hollywood, being a Hollywood conservative. So when you find liberals with a push from the left are making it impossible for you to pursue professional pathways or successful pathways, yeah, the, the ambitious conservatives, uh, they're going to want to try to get along, not push too hard, show the left that I'm an opposition, but I'm an opposition that's not going to fight too hard. And the left likes those kinds of people. They don't want to eliminate the opposition because then it's over. If you have figureheads of opposition, people who make noise but don't really do anything, like Lindsey Graham, uh, you know, where are the hearings Lindsey Graham could, could, could have held to go after people doing doing uh, the shenanigans in the government against the Trump administration? Didn't happen. What, why didn't anyone go to jail for, for, for everything that, that went on during the early months of the Trump administration, the surveillance and so on? Well, what happened? So the, the establishment conservatives have all the incentive not to. The populist conservatives, we're on, we're on the outside. It, it's, we're, we're, we're around the edges, but we've got a lot of people who are very angry, dismayed, and the dismay goes back many, many years. It long preceded Donald Trump, and they want a battler. I mean, you know, everyone, we've been talking about this for years. Everyone liked Trump. We, we saw some, some of the issues he has, but the guy wasn't going to apologize. I'm not going to be... Craven 
in the face of leftist accusation anymore. Mark, that's a pretty good definition of muscular conservatism, as are you. (laughs) I really appreciate all your scholarship and time, sir. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you, sir. Mark Bauerlein. First Things Magazine. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, parts of which are brought to you by my good friend, Solar Sandy, who brings integrity back to solar in Arizona. One of the great differences between Solar Sandy and other solar companies, and there are many, is that she actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. Truly zero it out. It's so important when going solar, you do it right, you will do it right. With Solar Sandy, she has the formula. She wants to put more of your hard-earned money back into your pocket. When you go solar, Solar Sandy will pay 12 months of your solar payments, any portion of your power bill for the first 12 months, and because it's March Madness, Solar Sandy's promotion of the first 50 families, you will receive a $1,000 signing bonus. That's right. No solar panel payment, no power bill for 12 months and a $1,000 bonus at signing. There's no better time to go solar with Solar Sandy than right now. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. Again, that's AskSolarSandy.com. Dave is in surprise. Hello, Dave. Thanks for taking my call, teacher. How are you, man? Very blessed, sir. Very blessed. New job going okay? It is. It's, uh, they, they need my services, and I'm Happy to perform them. Great. It'll be a good partnership. Great. Yeah, so I, I really enjoyed the professor talking. I think that's something that we talked about a couple Septembers ago, my health time has flown. Um, it, I thought it became evident during impeachment and the run-up to it that the, uh, the DNC was corrupt and the GOP was complicit. It seems like the DOJ was completely AWOL. Keep going. I'm I'm increasingly in agreement with you. Yeah, we well we've I've I've sung this song for a long time, and and I think that that this the goal of the establishment politician, if they can't keep everything on the track the way they wanted it to, and Trump was the disruptor, then they would have they would be happy breaking everything down and eliminating all cultural and political norms. And that's what I think is going on now. They, they're trying to turn the country basically into serfs, where you either work for Walmart or Amazon and get everything from them, or you're on the government dole, and they don't care about anybody else. Well, you and I have been around this block a couple times, Dave. There's not much I disagree with you on, but the part I would I would say is, in, in agreeing with everything you've said— um, what are what are what are we what are we next looking at? Because Mark is uh, Bauerline, the guest I had. He's he's calling us, talking to us from Washington, um, the East Coast anyway. And I I he talks about he talked about a war in the conservative movement. I I really don't know if that war exists much, frankly. Um, maybe you do, and you can tell me that it does. Um, but it seems to me people like you and me and Mark, if I can make that. If I can do that, the three of us, our brand of conservatism, muscular conservatism, it just seems like 
that's that's who people who claim to be conservatives are these days. It's as if if there was a war, we won. There's not much patience and tolerance anymore. I don't see anyone, in other words, creating PACs and uh, other organizations to get rid of your Ron DeSantis's and Andy Biggs, not from conservatives anyway. I do see conservative organizations trying to get rid of our weak reads, and I support that wholeheartedly. I believe in a, you know, I do believe that a, a movement as well as a party has to have principles, and it should place principles above personalities. I agree with you, and I think it's been long overdue that the party call itself. But when you think about, like, if we go back to impeachment, it was the AOC wing that was driving that, and and the liberals weren't strong enough to put up a fight. But in fact, the conservatives, the Republicans, were even weaker. And that's why Trump took over the Republican Party. I view him as apolitical. He was just an empty vessel. But he tapped into the conservative, the constitutional conservative principles I believe in. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of people like that. But that the left doesn't, they don't aim their barb so much at conservatives. They're, they're going after the, the liberals because they're the stronger of the, the two factions. Because I think we're weak by and large. If the 50% of the country was red versus blue... They would have never won all this because I think 12% of the country is the, the stride leftist. So tell me how that works. Well, I think it works in part because the Democratic Party is not a party of liberals. It's a party of leftists. I don't think that we would see a single difference between a Bernie Sanders presidency and what we've seen the last two and a half months. Not a one. I think that, in other words, what I'm trying to say is even those who want to proclaim themselves liberals or moderates in the Democratic Party either are not or cannot be. They either simply are lying to you or the, 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 the tug and the pull is so strong they have to abandon it um, uh, and become a leftist themselves or at least an endorser of leftism. So I think that's part of the problem um, that, you know, Leftists, leftists of left, you know, the kind that want to take Lincoln's name off schools, um, that may be 12 percent of the country. But the party that represents it and will promulgate the wing nuttiest elements in it is the Democratic Party. And in a nation of two parties, one might think of it as 50 percent. In other yeah. words, you have a political party in the Democratic Party. You have a political party in the Democratic Party that is one of the two major parties in this country. And it bends, kowtows, endows, endorses, and rewards the leftists in it. That makes it, at a minimum, a leftist party. And if leftists, pure leftists, are only 12 percent, well, they've got a party that's carrying an awful lot of their water well beyond that 12 percent. That's all I'm saying. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Thanks for spending some time with us. One of the books I go to uh, when I when I get into these discussions of liberalism and conservatism is William Buckley's Up from Liberalism, his third book, I believe it was, 1960 or 61. And he asks, who are the liberals? You might just replace it with leftists now, but I'm giving you the Buckley in heck verba. Who are the liberals? Numerically, they are very few, for as it is said, America is a non-ideological land. The average American is not a liberal, nor is he a conservative. He may have liberal leanings or conservative leanings, but it is a mistake to think of him as a conscious agent, vocationally or avocationally, of any set of ideas. But liberals there are in the land, men and women who seek consciously and consistently to advance a particular and identifiable view of man and society. They exercise great power. I go so far as to say theirs is today the dominant voice in determining the destiny of this country. Liberalism is powerful but decadent. Our duty is to salvage a thing called conservatism, which is weak but viable. That was William Buckley in his book, Up From Liberalism. Hard to outdo the master. So a pretty good note to end on for today. Until tomorrow, God bless you all and class dismissed.